0: Hey, folks, Joyce Vance here. There are new developments this week pertaining to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Former President Donald Trump reportedly took presidential documents to Mar-a-Lago instead of giving them to the National Archives, which he was required to do by the Presidential Records Act. Meanwhile, Mike Pence refuted Trump's assertion that the vice president could overturn the election results. The GOP declared the one 6 attack legitimate political discourse, And Trump said he would pardon the rioters. In other news, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a witness in Trump's first impeachment trial, is suing Donald Trump Jr. and Rudy Giuliani for witness intimidation. And in New York, a federal jury found celebrity lawyer Michael Avenatti guilty of defrauding his former client, Stormy Daniels. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community.
1: So there continue to be a parade of witnesses who come before the committee. Jeffrey Clark, you'll remember, he's that figure. Can I call him shadowy? Can I call him a shadowy figure?
0: I think that's fair.
1: The shadowy figure of Jeffrey Clark, who seemed to have been conspiring in some way with the president over things that happened in Georgia, behind the backs of the acting attorney general and the acting deputy attorney general. He was before the January 6th committee, but he had a certain mantra that he uttered again and again and again. And what was that?
0: I refuse to answer. I am pleading the Fifth Amendment.
1: There you go. Now, one question is, we have one criminal contempt of Congress indictment against Steve Bannon. We have DOJ pondering a second criminal contempt of Congress indictment against Mark Meadows. Some people want to take the same action and make the same kind of referral with respect to Jeffrey Clark and some others. Do you agree with me that... It makes the most sense for the committee to wait and see what happens with Meadows before adding another one to the plate of DOJ.
0: Yes, absolutely. Although I think that decision is getting a little bit moldy and overdue. But by the same token, I think it's a more difficult question when Clark is asserting the Fifth Amendment. I mean, this is like what's that movie called? Is it Fifty First Dates? This is like 500 First Amendment assertions or one hundred <laughs> Fifth Amendment assertions. I don't know what you're talking
1: about, Joyce. But, but I'm confusing
0: myself it. here. But but I think the sustained way where he used the Fifth Amendment. One thing that you have to do is compare the assertion of the right to the questions that he's being asked and it's possible that he was using the fifth amendment to questions where he didn't just didn't have a right to assert it is also possible that there are crime fraud exception sort of implications here we've talked about that before but you can't use the the fifth amendment if you're planning a crime together and so the committee will have to decide whether that's something that they want to pursue It would be nice to get a decision on Meadows first, because if DOJ is not going to help Congress enforce the subpoena against Meadows, then they're unlikely to go further with Clark.
1: I agree with that. One further, more detailed question I have is, if DOJ makes the decision to indict Meadows, we'll know that because there's a public indictment. If DOJ makes the decision to not indict Meadows, will they make an announcement? Will they say they're declining prosecution I think they have no choice but to do that. Do you agree with that?
0: I think so. I think probably how that happens, and you would know this better than I would, is that a letter goes back to the committee saying that they're not going to prosecute, and that's how it becomes public.
1: And then the question will be, how detailed will the letter be? This is a constant issue. When you decline a prosecution, how much information do you give? How much of your reasoning do you give? How much of your deliberation do you reveal? Will they say there's a problem with the law? Do they say there's a problem with precedent? Do they say there's a problem with some of the facts? Is there really a legitimate privilege issue here? It's a bit of a conundrum for the Justice Department, but I think in no circumstances will they just sit on it forever, right?
0: Do you read anything into the delay? Do you think it's more suggestive of prosecution or, or of not prosecuting?
1: I think it's suggestive of real deliberation and difficulty in making the decision. I mean, the Bannon case was kind of easy, and it happened in a couple of weeks. This is not as easy, but it's been a long time, right? It's, it's, not, it's not a complicated, you know, multi-continent sex trafficking case. You know, there's some legal analysis that has to be done, and you would think in, in a few weeks that that's, that that's doable. So I don't know. And then the other question is, if they come back and they decline prosecution, you're Benny Thompson— Do you decide, well, I guess, you know, we've reached the the end of our rope on contempt prosecutions. Let's not send them anymore. Or do you think, well, we're a committee. We do our job. We make evaluations on whether or not criminal contempt is appropriate as we see fit. And if the Justice Department doesn't pursue it, that's up to them. But we're going to keep sending them criminal contempt referrals as we see fit. Do you think it will be that? Or do you think they'll stop if Meadows goes free?
0: I don't think that Benny Thompson has any intention of giving up, and I think we saw a little um, suggestion of, of where they might head on this if DOJ won't help them out by enforcing people who decline to comply with their subpoenas. I think the committee then starts giving selective immunity to people to compel testimony and to hear their testimony and encourage their testimony. And that would be, I think, a pretty clear statement that the committee has lost faith that DOJ will ever engage in any meaningful prosecution.
1: Well, that's a great point, right? And it's a, it's a, a little bit of a, of a legalistic point. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not DOJ is actively investigating the people sort of at the top, and we don't know, but there's some signals that they are not. Is there any circumstance in which the committee would give immunity, you know, some brand of immunity? to a witness like Jeffrey Clark or someone else without consulting with the Department of Justice?
0: My suspicion is that consultation right now is a little bit of a one-way street, with the committee perhaps not hearing as much back from the Justice Department as as they would like. That would be consistent with how DOJ behaves, and there are a lot of good reasons for DOJ to not disclose what it's doing in, in criminal cases But my suspicion here is that what this will come down to will be the the committee taking maybe someone who would potentially be a marquee defendant, let's just say Ivanka Trump, somebody who arguably could have criminal liability, and giving her immunity to hear her testimony about what her father did, said, and thought, that would in some ways force DOJ's hand or at least expose the fact that they were not going to investigate And yet we've got Merrick Garland's January 5 speech where he committed to a full-blown robust investigation. And it's really hard, at least I struggle, to know how to put all these pieces together.
1: Well, we should unpack for a moment the significance of granting immunity. Number one, it means that you can no longer invoke the Fifth Amendment because you can't be prosecuted for what you say. So that's a way of forcing the hand of someone like Jeffrey Clark or Ivanka Trump But second, the reason I was talking about the issue of consultation with the Justice Department, a congressional grant of immunity will affect the prospects of the Justice Department pursuing its own investigation and prosecution of that very witness and perhaps other people. And so you would presume that the committee would want to know, do you have an objection, Justice Department? And there are two possibilities if they ask that question. One is the department objects. And then the committee has to decide whether to honor that objection or not. And an objection would indicate that the department is doing something, right? And thinks we don't want to forestall our own prosecution or the department does not object. And the committee goes forward and grants immunity, in which case I think that would be more evidence that the department doesn't feel that it is going to have a case or doesn't want to bring a case at the highest level. Is that all fair analysis?
0: I think that it wouldn't be more evidence. I think it would be final evidence that DOJ is not pursuing cases. If they have any desire to prosecute, they've got to avoid that immunity situation. That, of course, is what caused Ollie North's convictions to fail to stick. And so if DOJ is good with the January 6th committee immunizing witnesses who could be suspects or targets, that's ballgame.
1: So for listeners out there, I think there's a lot of things to keep looking at. And watching for. And one of the most important things to watch for is what happens with respect to the granting of immunity. That'll tell us a lot. I know there's a lot of speculation, but as Joyce points out, that will perhaps be definitive as to what the Department of Justice is doing. So Joyce, the other issue with respect to the obtaining of documents by the January 6th committee that's gotten a lot of attention. I don't know if it's overblown or not. I think you have a lot of questions about it. But there are a couple of things. One This practice of Donald Trump tearing up official documents, and you wonder what the relationship between that act and the Presidential Records Act is. And then the other is the National Archives apparently had to go get 15 boxes of documents from Mar-a-Lago. That's not the White House, right?
0: It's the Florida White House, isn't it? Isn't Trump still president? (laughs) He didn't have to turn (laughs) those documents back in.
1: He'll be president as soon as his running mate descends from the heavens, John F. (laughs) Kennedy Jr.,
0: (laughs) I mean, this is so characteristic of Trump's utter disrespect and utter disregard for the law. And in some ways, depending on what documents were down at Mar-a-Lago, it it could be dangerous, either because there's classified stuff that's exposed, or perhaps because there are documents that the Biden White House needed to have a read-in on that they were excluded from seeing. So it's it's at a minimum a really bad practice. I think this conversation that some folks want to have that it's you know, criminal and he should be prosecuted. I think that that's premature.
1: You're disappointing people, Joyce, because I see a lot of folks in my timeline on Twitter who think slam dunk, finally, criminal charge against Trump for destroying documents. Is is it not a crime? Is it not theft of government property or some other such thing to do what he did?
0: You know, I suppose you could characterize it that way, but you could characterize a lot of conduct that's not worthy of, of prosecution that way. There's obviously a story here that we don't know. How did folks find out that there were documents at Mar-a-Lago? How did the process of reclamation work? Is this something that's been ongoing for a long time? Was there a legitimate claim that these weren't presidential papers? I think where this could get interesting is, depending on what sort of documents are contained in these 15 boxes, is there some evidence that Trump intended to keep these documents out of the public domain in order to conceal wrongdoing. And if this is, in essence, obstruction of justice, then this is a lot more interesting.
1: Or if it's, on the other hand, just standard recklessness and negligence and untraditional conduct and behavior by the former president. I know people don't love to hear that, but you got to make the distinction between those two things before there's a criminal case to be had.
0: Well, and if it's standard recklessness and lawlessness, it is... Yet another argument for a very important constituency in our country, voters who should dedicate themselves to the proposition that this man doesn't belong any place close to the Oval Office ever again.
1: He can stick to the Florida White House.:
0: So Alexander Vidman, who everyone will remember, he was an incredibly moving witness in, in Trump's first impeachment trial when he said about his adopted country because he's an immigrant here right now. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. And to the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.